Hey everyone, it's Dr. Hal. Today we're sharing a bonus episode of GeoTrek with you. This is an interview that our data scientist Shaquille Vaxter did with the Poor People's Campaign of Sacramento as a supplemental piece to his article titled Record-Breaking Heat and the Homeless Population. Shaquille speaks with them about what it was like educating the homeless in California about how to socially distance during COVID and how they helped the homeless stay cool during the extreme heat in the summer of 2021. We hope you enjoyed the episode and thanks for supporting GeoTrek. So my name is Faye Wilson Kennedy and I'm one of the co-chairs for the California Poor People's Campaign. I live and organize out of Sacramento and glad to be with you. Yes, uh, my name is uh, Brother Carter. Kevin Carter. I'm on the uh, state coordinating committee for the Poor People's Campaign, and I do uh, basic needs here in Sacramento, and happy to be with you guys. Poor People's Campaign is a national campaign, and most people know about our national leaders, Reverend uh, William uh, Barber, uh, and then uh, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris. So they're national, and it's a continuation of Dr. King's legacy in terms of lifting up uh, people who are poor. And there are about 40 uh, national poor people's campaign in 40 different states. And we're here in California. In California, we've been around since about 2017, 2018. And we actually kicked off here in California uh, at the state capitol. As far as the pillars uh, of our campaign is uh, we talk about poverty. Um, or, uh, and not just poverty, uh, we talk about the uh, war economy, um, we talk about systemic racism, um, we also uh, talk about the uh, ecological devastation and also the uh, uh, religious uh, extremism. Um, and all of those intersect in the capacity that you see today when we're looking at how the voting rights are being rolled back, uh, and which is a threat to poor people. Uh, when we look at um, things that are happening uh, across the, the country now, uh, since we've had the Ida storm and the others, and the ones that are greatly impacted are poor people. Uh, when we uh, see what the president has done in stopping the, the war uh, in Afghanistan, uh, something that impacts poor people, uh, we, we pay the price for all of these things. And then, as you see today, um, you know, as far as with jobs and uh, other entities of healthcare, uh, and, or uh, where we're not getting uh, provided uh, the necessary uh, uh, things for healthcare, and that comes between systemic racism and that has become a class issue. So um, that's where, uh, we are today, as far as in the intersection of uh, those four or five pillars uh, uh, across this country. And as Faye has mentioned, there, uh, there's over 140 million people uh, that live in poverty today uh, and load the, the poverty line. And since the pandemic, uh, there's uh, now another eight to nine million people you know, that have entered into uh, uh, that poverty line. So it's very important today, you know, that uh, we, we have this conversation, you know, uh, about what's happening on Main Street, you know, uh, more than what's happening on Wall Street. So you, you mentioned earlier about um, Mr. King also going and getting a pizza, I guess, and for the 
for a, so I guess my question is, what do you do, I guess, on a day-to-day -day basis? So thank you very much. So each community that's part of the Poor People's Campaign, our whole goal is to engage poor people, whether they're housed or unhoused. So in Sacramento, we engage both the housed who are poor and those who are unhoused. And so a couple of years ago, Brother Carter actually came up with this idea called Basic Needs is where we literally go out to the unhoused community, they're calling encampments, and we provide them basic needs. In 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, when it was raging, the Poor People's Campaign in Sacramento, along with a few other groups, we were some of the only organizations that was gloving up, masking up, putting on, you know, I guess some people thought we were from yeah. out of space, mm -hmm we look mm -hmm. kind of weird, right? Going into the encampments and passing out masks, uh, talking to the people about the importance of social distancing, uh, talking to them about uh, uh, using hand sanitizers, washing their hands, challenging our local uh, county health department about getting uh, hand washing stations there. We were some of the few organizations, we're some of the few people that were literally brave enough to do that. And, and in particularly, like Brother Carter said, that the majority of the people who are unhoused, really nationally, 30 to 40% of the people who are unhoused are black and brown and indigenous brothers and sisters. So Brother Carter would show people how to socially distance. He would put out his arm and say, you know, this is how you yeah. socially distance when you stand in line and talk to people. So people didn't understand exactly. why they needed to wear the mask. They literally didn't know because the news would talk about particles. And what's a particle? We say it's just the, the saliva out of your mouth or the, the mucus out of your mouth in your nose. So if you cough or if you sneeze, that's why you want to wear the mask so that won't touch another person. That's why you need to wear the gloves. And then it made sense to the average brother, sister on the street. But before that, they would like, I don't understand why I need to wear the mask. And so we took masks. Every time we would go out, we would try to give people at least two masks. And we would use the disposable mask. And people say, why the disposable as opposed to the cloth mask? Well, if you're in an encampment, you don't have a way of washing the cloth mask. And right. then it becomes unsanitary to continue to use it. So we would go back. And, and so we did that for a year where we would one, like I said, we were one of some of the few organizations that was going out, talking, engaging with people. And then if we would see people who look sick or say they were sick, we had built a relationship with two, two organizations, the Street Med Team, well, really three, the Street Med Team, our local yeah. university had put together a group of uh, uh, UC Davis residents and then the, uh, the street nurse, and we would call them out. And then they would come and out them. and help out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And help and assess the people and, um, you know, get them transported to the hospital mm -hmm. or, you know, assess. The, and a lot of people actually were more dehydrated than anything. And, and we would talk to them about how to keep themselves hydrated, like start drinking water earlier in the day, mm -hmm. you know, when, when it's cooler outside and your body is able to absorb the water and, and different things like that. And then unfortunately, not trying to be graphic, but a reason a lot of people who are unhoused don't drink a lot of water is because they may be at an encampment that doesn't have a porta potty. Mm -hmm. So that means if you drink a lot of water, the water has to, uh, you have to eliminate the water some way. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so it's different things like that, that that we were doing. So this summer has been, of course, (laughs) one of the hottest summers in, uh, especially for the Western United States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, I wanted to ask a couple questions and see how, I guess, this summer has been for, well, some of the things that Poor People's Campaign have done. Um, Was there anything uh, that you do in preparation if you know there's going to be a a significant heat wave in maybe Sacramento or in California? Yeah, so we we, in Northern California in particularly, we've been really in a really unique situation. So because we've not only have not only have had to deal with the heat, Mm -hmm. we've had to deal with the wild wildfires Mm -hmm. and the smoke from the wildfires. I mean, to the point where, you know, you would have the, your colleagues would come on, the meteoro- local meteorologists would come on and say, stay inside today. Well, if you're unhoused, you can't stay inside. You, have, you know, you're outside. Many of them have tents, but many of them don't have tents. So we're not only dealing with the elements of the heat, but we're dealing with elements of the smoke. And we already know that the, the regular masks that we wear uh, that we give out to people and that most people wear the disposable masks don't protect you from the smoke. You actually need the N95 mask to protect you from the smoke. So we were dealing with two, two issues, the smoke and the heat. So uh, I'm going to let Brother Carter talk about that. And he's going to use the example when we took uh, the news station on a tour and we had no idea that it was going to be hot that particular weekend. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was so hot. I had to go home. I was like, oh my God, I'm old and hot. So go ahead, Brother Carter. Yes. Thank you, Faye. Yes. Actually, um, this is about actually uh, uh, about three months ago, mm-hmm. uh, we got a call from Vice News and they wanted to come and shoot a small documentary on heat waves. And so the day that they came to shoot it was actually the hottest day in Sacramento in history, it was 119 degrees that day. So how we prepared for it, we had the water, but to the water set in the back of the truck and it wasn't cold. So Mm -hmm. it was so hot that the the water was hot. So Mm -hmm. what we did was um, we went to like the the Dollar Tree um, and other uh, supermarkets and we got bags of ice, you know, to, to take out. Uh, to the encampments and and to make sure that not only they got water, but it would would have been so unfair to give them water that was hot, you know, so to make sure that they got got the ice. And so uh, that was one of the preparations. And then we had a couple of cooling centers that were open. And uh, some of the people out there didn't have shoes on. So we had to directly take the water uh, to uh, to their encampments you know, mm-hmm. to their tents so that they they were able to get water and the ice. But it was extremely hot uh, that day. And um, and it was it was the right time and, and you know that worked for us because they were shooting the documentary right in right right at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, and we went to uh, the different encampments to where uh, people were allowed to give their testimonies about being in the heat, you know saying and and just speak upon, you know, um, when it gets hot like this, even when it wasn't, you know, 119, when you just say 103, you know, saying it's hot and we were waiting for our civic leaders, 
you know, to step up to, to make sure that, you know, the these encampments were provided for, not just cooling centers, but the cooling centers were too far away mm. for people to get to. And uh, there were no places to where they could get, you know, cold water or ice water, no, no type of, you know, uh, a point places set up. So we provided all of that, you know, not just our organization, but other organizations that work around us. You know, we provided all of that, you know, for them. Right. And, uh, and it stayed consistent, you know, after 119, you would think that, okay, it, it would, it would feel cooler, but it wasn't, it was still hot. It was, you know, and, uh, like I said, and, and the people suffered, they mm -hmm. suffered, you know, dearly, yeah. you know, but they survived they because survived. of, uh, because of the, the, the services that we were giving, you know, was, was, uh was uh, very important and, and we were there, you know, to make sure that they were, they were serviced. Yeah. And so what we also did was um, not only provide the drinking water at ICE, myself and some other volunteers, we did, we did what we call water station, where we showed up with the, like an igloo full of ice with cold water earlier in the morning. Uh, where people are already cool, their, bo their body, their body core temperature is cool, and encourage them to start drinking water now. Mm -hmm. It's easier to absorb. It'll keep them cooler longer. In Sacramento, it doesn't get cooler at night. We don't have the Delta breeze. Don't help us at night when it gets hot. So we're not near like the Bay Area. It kind of cools off at night. It doesn't get cool. So it may be 119 during the day. It may just drop maybe to 110 at night. It's still very, yeah, it's still very, very hot at night. And we do have a lot of older communities with older homes who don't have air conditioners. So even, they're, even they are hot. So one of the um, two of the encampments that Brother Carter um, and, and that we took the people to, there's a cooling center, a cooling station but it's very far to walk to. And so it's one thing to say how far it is. So I actually walked it from one encampment. It took me an hour and a half with my regular backpack on and my purse to get there. And when I got there, I was exhausted. And it wasn't even, a. it was a day that maybe was 90 degrees. So 90 degrees is, is a normal day in the summer. That's normal. It wasn't that hot. I perspired a little bit, but, you know, I felt comfortable. I was exhausted. So how do you expect someone in 100 degrees with all of their belongings to walk that far to a cooling center? You, you can't. And so one of the things that the campaign has been pushing, as well as the group that we are part of called this Service is Not Sweet, is to get more cooling centers accessible to where people are at so they could actually take advantage of them. And, and, and a lot of unhoused people, as well as housed people, they have pets. And at that particular cooling center, you can't take your pets. You can't, you know, you just can't take your pets. So if you're unhoused and you have a dog and you may wanna go to the cooling center, you can't go because you can't take your dog. And believe me, they're not gonna leave their dog behind because their dog is their best friend. You know, and that dog is the one that will alert them when strangers may approach their tent. So it's things like that. We're constantly trying to let the policymakers and key stakeholders know that their decisions impact people's lives. And so a year ago, January, we had a really, we had a really bad 
wind and rainstorm in Sacramento. And we tried to warn our city official that you need to open up the warming centers, right? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that night it came through and we lost, we lost close to 10 people, some of which we knew that they died because right. of the rain, because of the wind. It was, we had never seen anything like, actually, those of us who lived in homes, we thought we were going to lose the, our roofs on our house. The wind was that, was just that ferocious mm -hmm. and that powerful. And, um, and so it made our city leaders realize that, um, they were putting people's lives at risk and everything. And so they began to slowly uh, look at opening warming centers. And so now our push is to not have it um, weather activated. So right now in Sacramento, it has to be three consecutive days of hot weather, more than a hundred degrees or three consecutive days of cold weather when it's 33 degrees or colder before they will activate the cooling centers or warming centers. And so we're saying the weather shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that cold or shouldn't be that hot before you activate it because it may be a hundred degrees, but when you're on the concrete or you're in a place without shade, it's even hotter. You know, the Celsius or mm -hmm. there's even hotter, or even colder. So those are some of the things that we're working on trying to get the policymakers to understand. In Sacramento and, and throughout a lot of cities, we have people who are unhoused living under freeways, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is when you live under freeways, and it's a particularly when it's a busy freeway, you're exposing people to the emissions from the cars. And a lot of poor people in general have poor health. And remember I said between 30 to 40% of people who are unhoused in this country are a black and brown and indigenous people. And in Sacramento and nationally, uh, black and brown folks have a higher rate of upper respiratory disorder, asthma, high blood pressure. And so they're living under these freeways. It's an environmental issue that people yeah. are not thinking through. So we are, what we're trying to get our policymakers to understand is that people shouldn't live there on a long-term basis because they already have poor health in the beginning. They're under these freeways where these cars and trucks are just going 24 seven and the emissions are going to eventually impact their health. And it's not gonna impact their health for the better, it's gonna impact their health for the worse. And these should be short-term solutions. And we look at getting people into stable housing, whether apartments, whether it's home, whether it's motels, but get them from under the freeways where they're not exposed to, uh, it may be a little cooler, but they're exposed to the emissions from the cars and the carbon, the carbon, you know, just mm -hmm. carbon monoxide. I hate to say it that way. It's not, yeah. mm -hmm. it's just not health. And just when, even when you're there for a short period of time, you can see the effects and everything. We were, we were just there and you're like, you said, oh my, my God, this is, this is not a healthy place to be and everything. So it's things like that. We, we, we try to help people understand there's a cause and effect for everything. So we solve one problem, but then another problem is created. Another challenge is created. This is always an intersection. Yes. You know, to, yes. Um, especially when environmental issues. Right, you know, right. Uh, 
And 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 one I know we talked about it earlier, uh, which was the, the fires, the wildfires here. And and one of the things uh why why we're so affected when those wild wildfires take place is because we're in the valley, mm-hmm. you know, like Faye, Faye just mentioned the Bay areas where our cool weather come in from, you know what I'm saying, from the Pacific and then the Sierras, you know, the, the mountains, you know what I'm saying, is, is where it's on its way to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm but um, when the fires that took place, the where the, the, the smoke was coming down from the Sierras and and from the valley. So it was like both of us headed our way. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're stuck in it, you know. Yeah. It was so it's thick. It's like a trap, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you could visually see it, and there were there were very few places where you could buy the N95 masks because most of the N95 masks were being used by the health professional, and so it was very. I mean, you know, we you would get a uh, N5, you would get a load of N95 masks. You would get those distributed. We would keep some for ourselves, and then weeks, weeks, weeks would go by, and you had no more N95 masks. So we would tell people to double mask up if, if they were living outside to help them with right. the smoke. I mean, it was, it was so, it would be so bad. Like when I, on nice, on nice days when it's 80 degrees, I won't turn on my car air, air conditioner. I'll just, you know, use the, the fresh air. I couldn't even do that because it was just that bad. The smoke was just right. that bad and everything. It's, 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 um, it was really bad for those for us in 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 the, in the Sacramento Valley, and even mm-hmm. some of our brothers and sisters who are in uh, in the Bay Area uh, was experiencing it, but not as heavy as those of us in 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 Sacramento. It was it was it was one of those. It was a health hazard, and they were the meteorologists would come on in the morning, issue alert. You would you know if you would sign up for the alert via your phone, and that's another thing. We would try to tell the unhoused folks to do is get signed up where you can get the alerts on your cell phone if they did have cell phones, and we would try to tell them to get to, to get their chores done earlier when it's cooler, um, and not be out in midday. And we would try to tell them what midday meant. So the hottest, you know, as a meteorologist, you know, the hottest part of the day is from five to eight. But, you know, not do anything during that, but try to get it done in the morning, in the morning between seven and noon. And in Sacramento, after 12 o'clock, it is just hot. You can just, you can feel the difference. You can just, you can barely get in your car. It's so hot and everything. So, yeah. And when, and since he's been doing that, there's, there's been, the numbers have increased of people being out, Mm -hmm. you know, outside, you know, uh, looking for water, food. Because during the day, you know, we have a few people that are out there, you know what I'm saying? We drop the water off and we only see that that few that are there to receive. But I did go out with him a couple of times at night and I, I was just amazed mm-hmm. of how many people that are in these encampments that, they're, you know, visible, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and, that you can see, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because of, like I said, the, it, it'd be so hot during the day. Mm-hmm. And then the other part, can you imagine um, during the smoke, you know, during the fires, mm-hmm. of how many people that didn't get masked because we couldn't mask everybody, mm-hmm. you know. So could you imagine how many people that were out there that weren't getting, you know, these these necessary tools mm-hmm. to protect themselves? You know, what right. I'm saying, not, and like they just said, not just here in Sacramento, but throughout the region and in the valley. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying, I mean, the state. 
that that wasn't receiving right. you know, the, the mask and help. So right. it was an environmental issue within itself. So we, I will get back to uh, some of the future things, but mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the things that I've uh, read was there an issue with um, overcrowdedness of some of the uh, cooling shelters just because of the social distancing? Right. Right. So, for example, prior to uh, uh, 2020, shelters were open. There was no no limit. You could 200 people could crowd into them. I hate to say it that way. I mean, that wasn't good public health even then. But after the pandemic, you you so if if the facility could accommodate normally 200 people, it was reduced to 100 because it had to be. Just think if you had a, a six foot table or eight feet table for table all eight people can sit at that table. So you have to reduce it to half. And we literally had to do that during the Labor Day event that I was talking about, that you had to reduce the number of people that could come in at any given time in the same way with shelter. Brother Carter went to a shelter that just opened. That shelter may have been built for 100 people. It probably cannot accommodate 100 people now because of the social distancing that's required the six feet or the four feet distancing between the beds or whatever. Um, and, and those things that none of us anticipated that would impact how we deliver services to people. So even when we serve water or people are standing in line for the water station, we're constantly reminding them, you know, put your hands out. It needs to be, put your arms out. Need, you need to be six feet apart. And it's, and it's, and it's that, that really impacts the way you deliver services, um, and that even when the even when the nurses or the doctors are delivering information to them, you, we're standing apart, we're masked up, we're gloved up. So it really impacts the way we engage people. Whereas before that, we'd be close to people, you would touch people, you would hug people. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily hug now, but you you know you may give them you know the, the elbow boot or the arm boot or you know you give them you know you give them a kiss that way. It it really changed the way we how we engage people in everything. Yeah, I know. I was uh, I guess one of the big things because when I was reading through, I know that some cooling shelters were closed because of that. Yes. Too, so yes, yeah. it, it was really really big. And a lot of people didn't think through how we would uh, uh, deal with the capacity, didn't think through how you have to each group of people leave the, you know, it, it, it literally we had to do that that Saturday, that Labor Day, is that when one group of people got up and after eating, we had the Matthew and those guys, we had to wipe down the table, we sanitize the table. And you have to keep doing that. And it, it takes a lot of, people power to do that to keep it sanitized and and you know we tell people before you approach the uh igloo clean your hand because you know when you press on the little button to get the water you have to clean your hand and then we're constantly trying to wipe down the little button and even when we talk into the microphone you know we're constantly recleaning the microphone so it's really you really have to keep in mind like brother carter said earlier that you can't forget even though the public health order is listed you still have to practice those public health uh, precautions to keep people safe. You still have to, like you said, wash your hands. Or even when we wear gloves, I tell people, even when I wear gloves, so if I pick up something uh, off the ground, 
before I go deal with the food, I'll take off that set of glove and put on a clean, fresh set of glove before I deal with the, with the food and vice versa. But, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot. You have to always remember that. It, it, you always have to remember if you're dealing with stuff that's going to go in people's mouths, you have to really clean your hands, put on fresh pair, pair of gloves. And so when we're dealing with volunteers, we're constantly telling them that, that uh, when you touch something that's on the ground, take off the gloves, clean your hands, and then put on a fresh set of gloves before you deal with the food, before you go to the igloo, before you touch the, and it's, oh yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's things like that. So um, I know we talked about it a little earlier, but the um, what are some of the other future um, ideas that you have that I guess you learned from this specific uh, heat wave or you know the cold wave that you also mentioned that happened in the, uh, in the winter? Right. Some of the things that you learn that maybe it just came up during, you know, during the middle of the event and you're saying next time we'll be prepared for this. I think they're going to have to open them up sooner. Mm-hmm. So, for example, and, and Brother Carter, please jump in. It, it, in Sacramento, it starts getting cold in December. So in November, you can have a warm November Thanksgiving. People, can, you know, I remember one year we actually ate outside on our patio, an overflow of people ate outside on the patio in November. So it, it could be that warm. I think in Sacramento, it's going to start getting cold earlier. So the cooling, the warming centers are going to have to be open earlier because I think we're really going to see the effects of the climate change. And I think it's going to go longer. So um, it, w- it may be colder into March and April, whereas you know, we start thinking about the spring, the weather may change. We had a lot of, remember Brother Carter, we had a lot of rain yeah. here. It was like, yeah, we're like said, oh my God, we were getting depressed. It was so much rain, so to speak, you know, because we were indoors and everything. The other thing I know I learned, and I don't know why I did, it didn't dawn on me because we used to go camping, is that a lot of unhoused people, because most of us don't know, we, you know, we're so busy trying to get them tents. We forget that there's different kinds of tents. So there's a tents for the winter, that are heavier, that are heavier canvas. And then those are not good tents to be in during the summer months, right? Because it, it, right. it, it keeps mm-hmm. the heat, right? Yeah, heat. The same thing with sleeping bags. There are heavier sleeping bags for the winter months. So it's different things like that. And matter of fact, the person that does a lot of ordering, we were talking about that the other day, that we have to really be cognizant that in the wintertime, we order the right kind of tents. And then in the summertime, we order the right kind of tent. Because if you're in the wrong tent in the summer, you're miserable. You're really, really miserable. And then and vice versa. If you have the wrong kind of tent in the, in the, in the, in, in the winter, you're actually a cold. You can't get warm. So it's different things like that and trying to come up with different things, different ways. And the other thing we were having problems with is that a lot of people in encampments were building using the little smaller uh, barbecue, the little small round barbecue. Yes. Dwellers. Right. Um, fires to keep warm, which is unsafe. It's unsafe because of the fire, but it's unsafe because they were using items to burn. There was letting off emissions that were unsafe for them. So it's helping people understand right. that that it may keep you warm for that hot minute, so to speak, but the long-term effects for you and the people around you 
it's not really, really good. And so trying to help build people's capacity and even remembering to build our capacity around how that may not be, it may not be a good solution to the problem. Right, and then also, um, you know, um, I think, it, you know, I hope that the city has learned um, and the county uh, from us more or less to be, you know, uh, proactive and reactive. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of um, of the, some of the situations that Faye had just mentioned, you know, as far as uh, uh, folks starting their own fires, you know that um, mainly we see fire more fires being built during the winter because people mm -hmm. are trying to, you know, to stay warm. And one of the things I think where the city city did and the county stayed uh, proactive in is when they were giving us the fire extinguishers. Right. Uh, you know, and to put into the encampments, you know, uh, to the to the lead people there to make sure that they were there. And if anything came up, you know, they had that fire extinguisher there. But, but they didn't do that for the summer, you know, uh, and folks had to cook, you know, uh, for the summer too. And so that, that was kind of left out. But what I'd like to see now is to, for them to really be proactive is to start getting space and start building, you know, uh, so these folks could, could have all of these things available uh, for them to, to cook, for them to stay warm, you know, instead of saying, well, this is going to be uh, a consistence of tents all the time. Mm -hmm. And we need to get beyond tents. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Dr. King said it best. A tent is a resurrection to a new beginning. Mm -hmm. That beginning should take you from a tent to a, 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 a hotel room, uh, uh, apartment uh, or into uh, uh, consistent housing, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Not to just stay there, you know, in the one place and to be idolized, you know, in, in, as a lonely island of poverty. And then when something happens, the first thing they do is they point the finger at, you know, uh, the people that are homeless. And so the, that fire started because they were out there, you know what I'm saying? Let's stop playing the blame game right. and start, you know, putting things in place so that people can live because everybody has the right to live, right. you know, in, in a decent uh, setting of housing, you know, food, shelter, clothing, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, and in a safe environment, yeah. Closing uh, statements you have just about the whole, uh, with the heat wave and uh, the whole, the Poor People's Campaign. So I want to just go ahead and give you all that time. Brother Carter, you want you want to you want to share something? No, I'll, I'll let you start, and then I'll I'll come okay. in because I want to give Ernie a chance to say okay. something. Okay, sure. So one of the things that I think we all learn is that we have to be much more proactive, and we have to be willing to think outside of the box, and that we really have to work uh, in collaborations with others. So the Poor People's Campaign can't do it all by ourselves. You know, we need your we need you guys as colleagues also to tell us, you know, when the weather is going to be really hot, you know, so we can act on that and we can plan and we can get out there. So it's it's like we have to be we have to talk to each other. We have to plan, coordinate, and talk to each other. Shaquille Baxter signing off. Thank you for watching. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Well, we're together, not one step. Not back. one step back. <laughs>